0: This is Blockbuster Film School. This is Blockbuster Film School! Hey everybody. It's a pretty boring episode of Blockbuster Film School here. Mm-hmm. Nobody enjoys any of this. Nobody enjoys music. Nobody's heard. Ba, 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 ba. Every single fucking march you've ever heard in every single movie you've ever heard. It's time. You're here. It's Blockbuster Film School. I've got my shirt off. Nick's got his shirt off. It is the Blockbuster Film School. And I'm Alex Bonner, and I'm joined by. Who are you? You handsome motherfucker. Brian Taps. Oh. <laughs> Wait a second. Wait, a, are you? did you throw your voice, Brian? <laughs> Wait, what's My your name? My name is Brom Souter? <laughs> it's Brom Sauter, everybody. Brom
1: Sauter. A.K.A. Nicholas Souter.
0: Nicholas Souter, but he likes to go by Bram when he's talking vampires. Yeah, we're not talking <laughs> vampires. That will be a different episode because Brian Taps put a knife to my throat and said, "We do a vampire episode, yeah. or I walk." And I was like "Okay, okay."
1: He wants to host it by himself and have us stand in the corners without the mics. Well, yeah, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be fun. Yeah. I, but all the lights off. He also keeps threatening me with garlic for getting on Italian.
0: You can't say that when I take a drink. <laughs> Don't die. I don't really
1: know enough about (laughs) You're gonna have
0: to do this by yourself. (laughs) Well everyone, if you didn't guess from my terrible version of Superman that I just did, we are doing Mr. Was that that was that Star Wars? That well, we'll get into that. I mean it kinda leads into No, I mean literally what was that? That was Superman. Oh. Yes. That was a theme to the Richard Donner, super. Oh, he's asking. I'm telling you. And we will overdub the shit out of that with me just doing bum, 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 bum. And then a bunch of strings come in real cool, pulsing the entire time. Always pulsing strings. You don't even notice it, but it's like, why is this pumping me up so much? Oh, pulsing strings. It's happening. But we are doing <laughs> Mr. John Williams, a man with a name so boring that he had to become. The most important musician possibly in the history of American film. There's no way you could ignore it. Yes, Nick is making a face, but he's gonna be hard pressed to prove me wrong on this. Um, whether I don't li- have to prove anything. <laughs> well, whether you like him or not, Mr. John Williams is extremely fascinating. He's extremely important. And if you haven't heard of John Williams, then you're a robot and we're fucking on to you. It is time to go into the blockbuster film school. Nick. When was the first time you sort of registered John Williams as a composer? Today on the train when I was listening mm. to Spotify. That's fair. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go with Jaws. Yeah. I definitely had a moment as a kid. I was a big Star Wars nerd. You know this, but. You still are. I mean, like I am, but not in the same way I was as a child. Where
1: There's a fucking Ad-Ad
0: Walker outside. Yeah, but I I honestly don't care in a lot of ways what happens with modern stuff and all of the different offshoots and I used to read the dictionaries, the Star Wars dictionary of all the different terminologies and offshoots. I would read the Timothy Zahn books. This is deep cut nerd shit. I
1: believe you mean Steve Zahn.
0: (laughs) I would also read the Steve Zahn books. Those were way more fun. But I will say this. I became so into Star Wars. It was the first time I really started to then look at who edited it who was the cinematographer, who was the producer, and who composed the music, obviously, because let's face it, the first thing literally that jumps out at you from Star Wars is the music. And we'll go into all of that, but I had to know who this person was. And then when I figured out that it was John Williams, and then when I figured out that this was the guy who had done Jaws, this was the guy who had done Superman, this, this was the guy who had done Jurassic Park, I had kind of a kid meltdown where I was like, How is this possible? Because, like, at that point, I'm already starting to figure out directors. Like, what? It's one guy? It's just one fucking... And then I was a kid, I started doing cocaine. I was, like, 10 years old. I was, what is happening? What is the world? Uh, You know, there was that. It was the 80s. You know, what are you going to do? You were 10 in 93. (laughs) That's true, I was. Yeah. Don't make me do math on this fucking show. (laughs) Cut all me out. I'm not in this episode. No, you have to be. Math. God damn it. No, you're here for math. Resident mathematician. (laughs) I'll take that title, Yeah, that's actually. fair. That's you are. You are the head of the math department. But why don't we do a little overview of Mr. Jonathan Towner Williams. Pretty solid middle name, I got to tell you. Also, his name is just John. Not Jonathan. John Williams. I appreciate that. He was born in 1932. So if anybody has a theory I do, which is that, in a way, John Williams is kind of the Steve Jobs of modern Hollywood, hopefully he doesn't die soon because... Ooh,
1: I just got a BBC update from
0: my app. Oh he, no, he, he's dead. No, don't you, you talk heard that way. it here first, uh, dude. Also, be careful. John Williams will kick your ass. He will find you on the street. Fight me. Also, spookily, I knew we were doing this episode today. As I was walking on the street, I saw a guy. I don't always see a guy that looks exactly like John Williams. It may have been John Williams. I was staring at him. He started staring at me. It was a whole thing. It has nothing to do with movies, but it might have been him. He only works with the Boston Philharmonic and the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and I've seen him with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and there was a spooky sort of chaos magic. I was like, "Is this happening?" Anyways, I love John Williams. You're a huge fan of John Williams. It's me or the listeners, 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 not you, of course. Yeah. You're, you're dead inside. It. Don't really? worry. I am. I am too. We'll talk about why you're so disturbed. Why do you have some sort of overhanging beef that we can?
1: I don't have a beef. Mm. Did you do something John to Williams Here's the thing You're making it out like Yeah I don't like his music His music mm. is fucking great It's mm-hmm. phenomenal mm. What I don't care for Like you were saying Like he pumps you up I don't give a shit about that
0: Not always
1: though I'm not looking for like the big Ah 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 Get excited There's men with fucking Laser lights that's fair.
0: That is fair. But I would say that that is some of the stuff he's most famous for. But we'll get into this because I don't think that's where he starts. I don't think that's the stuff that wins him all of his Academy Awards. No. That's It's just something that kind of really puts him into the limelight in the beginning. That's his, uh, his happier records that people like the most and they want to hear at the concert but are not really the best stuff. But we'll get into that. So Born in 1932 – He's obviously an incredibly skilled composer, conductor, pianist. He's kind of got this weird Prince thing where he knows how to play like 50 instruments. He has a film composer career over six decades. I just have to say, he has won 24 Grammys, seven British Academy Film Awards, five Academy Awards, and four Golden Globes with 51 Academy Award nominations, which makes him the second most nominated person behind possibly still talking sentient robot head, Walt Disney. And if nothing else, you want to say like somebody won an Oscar and you're like, Oh cool. That's great. Eddie Redmayne. At that level, where you're getting nominated that much, where you're getting that much accolades, when literally Hollywood is like, please, please don't ever die, Mr. Williams. We need you for the love of fucking God. It's important. But we'll go just a little bit of his early life, just go into it just real quick before we go to the music. He was born in Long Island. Hey! Hey! Oh. hey. Um Call your sister over. Yeah. <laughs> Call her over. Hey, Ma! Both of his parents were musicians. His dad was particularly a jazz drummer and percussionist who played with the Raymond Scott Quintet. He basically talked about how he was like super close with his parents and they like played music. He was like a music kid. He was a music prodigy to begin with, which is also interesting when I go into sort of comparisons with some of the more classical composers that people sort of don't necessarily connect him with, say the Beethovens and Mozarts of the world, but always the vast majority of the time come from some sort of musical lineage. In 1948, though, when he's a teenager, he moves to Los Angeles where nothing happens. No one has ever done anything in Los Angeles, particularly with movies or music. He attends North Hollywood High School. He graduates in 1950. (laughs) He attends UCLA and studied privately with like a whole bunch of like really amazing composers of the Hollywood scene at the time. He also starts playing with jazz bands. In 1952, Williams was drafted in the Air Force, which will be interesting because when he's in the military, he plays the piano uh, as well as conducts the brass band and arrange music for the U.S. Air Force band. He then takes over the U.S. Air Force band while he's in the Air Force. So that idea of learning a lot of like the Sousa marches and very militaristic pomp and circumstance music as well as jazz – As well as classical, this all is his sort of formative years. He ends up getting out, obviously, and starts playing in jazz clubs. He's a cool jazz guy. You ever, Nick, you like jazz? Are you a jazz guy? I do. Okay, that's fair. Who's your favorite jazz musician?
1: Simply just because he did the score for Elevator to the Gallows and
0: One Take. Hmm. uh, Miles Davis. I I love Miles Davis. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I like Benny Goodman, too. I like... I like that era also of kind of freeform jazz with big band yeah. jazz. It's kind of a perfect era of jazz in the yeah. f- late 40s, early 50s. Also,
1: uh, they're a bunch of fucking shitty brats who could do whatever they want now, but it's yeah. bad, bad, not good or really fucking interesting. Good. Yeah. I like them
0: too. Agreed. <laughs> hey, everybody, welcome to Jazzcast. Uh, we're going to have to lower our voices and talk real slow so that you tune out. And only five weird dudes with skullets continue to listen. Um, Welcome to the Scullet (laughs) Hour. So, but (laughs) while he's in, but when he moves back after he's in the army, he starts playing with, as a a session musician, with tons of notable composers, particularly Henry Mancini. He worked with Mancini on Peter Gunn. Mancini's the guy who gets him into Hollywood. Mancini's the guy who brings him in as Johnny Williams. He plays in his band at nights. But also he helps him compose music for TV shows, compose music all over the place. Oh,
1: Charles Mingus made my favorite jazz album. Uh, oh, that's T- great. to Moves. That's
0: great. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm going to uh, do
1: this the rest of the episode now. I'm just. Uh, cool. Uh, <laughs> the running gag nobody wants.
0: That's awesome. That's great. Uh, yeah. But this is the Borg era. This is the Borg era that no one gives a shit about. Because, let's face it, a lot of those movies. Have you seen Peter Gunn? You ever seen that movie? Yeah. I own it. Really? Nope, never seen it, never heard of it. (laughs) Peter Gunn was like a private eye television series. They made a movie out of it. But it's interesting that it comes into the long and by, that he starts to figure out kind of an interesting modern take on moodier, spookier crime stuff. And that leads him to getting a lot more scoring stuff because it's different. Like, if nothing else, the one thing with Williams is that his stuff is... At one point, completely classical. It sounds like something that is from forever, but is different. It's not the sort of boring, normal Hollywood scores. It's not the normal, boring TV scores. It's got something different to it. There's a lot of, like, Tchaikovsky and Wagner, but I would make an argument that Sousa as well as Beethoven are big things. But the other thing that I've always noticed, and the thing we joked about a little earlier – was that he already could hear kind of rock and roll and his stuff has sort of rock and roll and sort of what would eventually be like what we would call as like beats. There are sort of beats to it. There's a lot of bass. There's a lot of constant rhythmic stuff. There's a lot of strings creating a lot of rhythm underneath big brass band attire. They're not just these very sweeping, sad strings. The strings are always to push forward. And then you use your woodwinds and your brass in order to create emotion. So he's already creating his own sound. If you live in a tunnel and are a troll, or possibly like a weird mutant, and you've never ever heard any William stuff, now it's possible you don't know that you've heard William stuff. That's possible, but you have. We'll get into that. We'll get into what you've heard, but you have. But he goes into a also, whole. F- I'd
1: like to apologize to all yeah. the fucking trolls,
0: <laughs>
1: people who live in tunnels
0: who aren't trolls. No, he's incorrect. not speaking for both of us. <laughs> Yes, I'm sorry if I upset the troll community because they eat us if we don't answer their goddamn fucking Again, riddles. I
1: apologize for this man Listen, spreading horrible rumors. Shit. Those trolls. Do
0: not confuse trolls for chupacabras. Chupacabras are way more fun. I know, but they don't listen. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Lo siento, chupacabras, para Nicholas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... He does a ton of TV stuff. He does a ton of, like, bad movie stuff, a lot of B-movie stuff. But they start giving him stuff. They start giving him little movie stuff. He's scoring things in his early 20s. And finally he gets to 1967's Valley of the Dolls. Written by Roger Ebert. That's true. That is absolutely, My personal hero. I agree. I, he is a knight of Chicago. I love him. And also, he is not wrong. Even though Mark Robinson uh, directed it, Sharon Tate is in that movie. Patty Duke. There's some interesting stuff in Valley of the Dolls. Yeah. And the soundtrack is also kind of interesting. Yeah. It's not his best stuff. You could tell it's already being different. Also, uh, R.I.P. Roger River, but that movie sucks. Yeah. <laughs> there's dope actors, a dope soundtrack, but that movie is... He even talked about it where he was like, I don't know what I was doing. I don't know what the shit was going on. Russ Meyer? Is that real? Yeah. But he makes a bunch of things, and then finally... Oh, wait.
1: No. No. Hmm, we're both wrong. Valley of the Dolls is Mark Robson.
0: Right, it is Mark Robson, but didn't he write that? No. Oh, then Welcome to the he, Dollhouse.
1: Beyond no. Beyond Thunder is, Dollhouse. Welcome to the Dollhouse is Todd Solondz. Yes. Beyond Valley of the Dolls is Roger Ebert and oh, Russ Myers. Oh, yes,
0: yes. Well, here at Blackbuster Film School, we're never wrong, so... All right, everybody, I'm going to commit sepik. Anyways. I'm just going to set myself on fire. Yeah, that's self imulations is the way to go. Yeah. That's solid, but... We're learning. We're learning about movies, and so are you, okay? Brian Tefts is learning a lot of movie time, learn. In 1971, though, he gets his first Academy Award nomination. In his 30s, he does the film score for Fiddler on the Roof. He doesn't write Fiddler on the Roof, obviously, but he makes the score. Uh, Arrangement, yes, whatever you want to call it. But he's the composer, as is the term for film scoring, and Once you get nominated for an Oscar, obviously you're kind of vinned for a little bit until (laughs) your career falls apart. You know, I don't want to name any names. I don't want to say who they are. I don't want to say that they were the main guy in The Pianist. How are you so good in that movie? And then you're not in anything else ever again. It doesn't make any sense. But he makes the score for Robert Altman's Images. Have you ever seen Images? Uh, No. It's uh, weird. Yeah, it sounds weird. Very fucking weird. When we do our Altman episode, it'll be interesting, but it's definitely one of those ones where Altman's like figuring it out. He hasn't quite figured it out yet. It will eventually become Nashville, basically. It will eventually become one of his weird vignette movies, but he hasn't figured it out. But he did figure out that he should use John Williams. It gets nominated for an Academy Award again, and then Hollywood's like, this is the guy. This is the fucking guy. And it's not who we're up to yet, but he starts then making the scores for The Poseidon Adventure, The Towering Inferno, earthquake. Yeah. If there was some sort of disaster movie, John Williams is your guy. <laughs> yes. It is funny that every so often Hollywood has like a time where they're like, I don't know. Ernest Borgnine in a boat and it turns over. What if a comet hits the earth? What if like a boat hits a building? I don't fucking like. What if Sandra
1: Bullock's on a boat? Yes. And there's a bomb. Yes. And Willem Dafoe. Right. Has creepy long
0: hair. Right. Keanu won't do it. I don't know. Get the other guy. Yeah. The other guy being Jason. All right, PJ's in Patrick's career. <laughs> Friend of the show. Is he's here right now. Robert Patrick is T1000. Yes. Yes. Are they brothers? I don't know. One of them is
1: the brothers of the guy from Filter.
0: Hmm.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Because he's a Patrick too. Right.
0: Hey, man. Nice shot. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I she- took your picture. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. That's the end of the show. Yep. We made two Filter jokes, but this blows him up. This blows him up. He is now a Hollywood dude. He is now officially a Hollywood guy. He is the guy they bring it what to. What year is
1: the Poseidon Adventure from? Is that 75 uh, or 73? Poseidon Adventure
0: is 1972. Okay. Towering Inferno 74. Earthquake is 74. So this is still not there yet. He made also, it-
1: in 73 was uh, Herbie Hancock's best album, in my opinion, Headhunters, Defining oh. Moment in Jazz. Oh,
0: God. I love you, but man, Jazz. <laughs> okay. I do. I should have done this. Uh, anyways, so in 1974, he is approached by a man. How's his name pronounced? Senior Spielberg. Steven Stilbe- Spielberg. Steven Spielberg. St- 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 yes. He has glasses. He has a baseball cap on and a beard and a beard and a corduroy shirt, like a lumberjack shirt. He wants him to write the score for his possibly directorial debut, The Sugarland Express. A big hit. Everyone's favorite fucking movie. It doesn't happen. It kind of happens. Sugarland Express happens. They make the movie, but it doesn't work. I don't give a shit about Sugarland Express. Then they get together and they make Jaws. And the entire- have fucking- never seen it. No, really? Hmm. Yeah. It's about a fish that has to kill Robert Shaw. It's got to get him. Robert Shaw was on the USS Indianapolis. A bunch of sharks ate all his friends. He managed to survive. A shark never forgot this. Shark was like, I'm going to get that motherfucker. Yeah. I want a sweet Robert Shaw dick. I'm going to bite it off. That's what he said. That's what that movie's about. Kind of. It's kind of actually about that. Kind of. I feel Um, like the subplot that nobody ever talks about is just Roy Schneider's character's raging alcoholism. Oh, everybody. (laughs) Well, you know what's funny, though? It's about coping mechanisms. It's yeah. about fear and coping mechanisms. Running from New York City, you're afraid of New York he got City. He ran out of New York City. Did he, or something bad happened? They never say. Something bad happened because he was drunk. Maybe, or something it scared him, scared him real bad. And he was like, I'll just move to an idyllic town, an idyllic beach town. Everything will be fine there. I won't be scared anymore. It's fascinating. Every character is interesting. Dreyfus is interesting. <laughs>
1: Dreyfus is at his fucking
0: best. Yes, yes. there's so much good eh, shit. You're all gonna
1: die.
0: There's so much good shit, which I will accredit to Spielberg. However, it is a badly constructed animatronic foam plastic shark that doesn't work. Which is never shown. It's shown a couple of times. But when they when spoiler way. alert, when he finally eats Robert Shaw's dick, which was his mission or her mission, I'm not entirely sure what Jaws' sex is. His name is Bruce. Okay. But when that finally occurs, you see the Jaws, okay? But My argument is that this is where then John Williams kind of takes over Hollywood. Because when you have that... It's metal, right? It's fucking metal is what it is. It's something else. With classical music, it's crazy shit, and it has all these weird interludes, ocean-y, like spooky interludes. He's a horror composer in the beginning. That's really what puts him on the mark. It's a spooky, scary. Literally, our parents' generation was running around not only making jokes, but like if you wanted to scare somebody who was afraid of the ocean, you would just walk up to them and like it would freak them out. It's scary. And if you watch footage of Jaws with no John Williams, it looks like trash. The shark scenes, okay? The scenes with fucking Dreyfus, it's great. It's a great ensemble piece. It's great. The pieces with the shark look dumb as shit. They look like the fucking Universal ride where a fucking shark. Ah, it looks bad. But John Williams turns it into the most epic fucking thing that has scared people from being in the ocean in general for like two generations. And my argument is, if John Williams doesn't make that piece of music, he doesn't make Jaws then Spielberg fucking makes two bombs in a row and disappears. Then all of his buddies don't get to make stuff. They don't don't go to the New York film school to grab as many people as they can to bring – like the collapsing effect of John Williams saving Jaws with his music is exponential in terms of the awesome side of Baby Boomer Cinema. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Okay, Okay. Thank you. Um,
1: so what did you think of Jaws, just in general? Jaws is amazing. Holds up very well. Right. Music's amazing. I feel like the movie wouldn't have been as good, but I think it would have still been a success, but I think it wouldn't have been a cultural phenomenon yes. without John Williams. Yes. It still would have made a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. It just would have been different. Mm-hmm. But with John Williams, right. it turned into... The thing where fucking Eddie Murphy gets eaten by a fake shark or Belushi gets eaten by a fake shark on Saturday Night Live. Yes. They make parody films. They make terrible fucking 3D sequels.
0: Michael Caine does a sequel. He doesn't go to the no. Oscars to make a Jaws sequel. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're 100% right. I agree with that entirely. Whether you like him or not, it's there is something polarizing about Williams. I agree. It's like you either are like a dork like me where you're like this shit is the coolest fucking music I may have ever heard. And then other people are like, it's good, I guess. But there is that element where it's like the movie still would be good. It still probably would work, but it wouldn't have lines around the block. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Once again, then him and Spielberg decide to put the band back together. Like, Hey, are you fucking rich as shit now? (laughs) From here on out, the band never separates. There's literally an album just called John Williams and Steven Spielberg. I would watch that movie. I would read that book, honestly. Like, because after that, Spielberg and Williams begin, they begin their marriage. And a bunch of other people have tried to get married to John Williams, but they haven't really gotten married to him in that way that Steve really did, where they kiss, they full kiss. Anyways, they made a movie called Close Encounters of the Third Kind after that. You know, you, you follow up Jaws. Why not follow it up with oh, I don't know, another insane cultural touchstone movie that makes it a fucking insane amount of money. I don't know. Try that, maybe. Mm. What do you think about Close Encounters of the Third Kind, math department head, Nicholas Sutter? Saw it once. I didn't care. I like Richard Dreyfuss in it. I'm almost going to slightly agree with you in terms of the collaboration of Spielberg and Williams in that I like it, but I think it's more flawed than a lot of their collaborations. Yeah. I think it's honestly a test run for the next one they will do that actually smooths out all nineteen forty one. Correct.
1: The theme is very memorable. Mm-hmm. Richard Dreyfus fucking mm-hmm. with his food is very memorable. Truffaut is acting in it. Which was just weird, which is very. Weird. It's
0: so weird. Um also, but like, what's her face? Terry Gar.
1: I love Terry Gar. She though. is so. I love Terry Gar. I
0: wanted when I was a kid. I wanted to marry Terry Gar in. Close encounters to the third guy. When she breaks up, spoiler, alert, when she breaks up with Dreyfus because he's obsessed with aliens, I was like, You could get married to me, Terry Gardner. I'm like a child. I was like, yeah. but when I saw young Frankenstein, I just sort of wanted her to slap me. <laughs> he was my boyfriend. That's Clarence Leacherman. <laughs> no, I don't care. I just, I just like saying that whenever anyone yeah. says "Young Frankenstein," but it does start to put forward a, a couple of Spielberg y things where we'll we'll have a Spielberg episode. I don't know. Does people like Spielberg anyway. But I will say this: I think this is the one where Spielberg takes over a little bit. Like it's more Spielberg y kind of stuff. He has big special effects. He has kids saying shit. He has crazy ensemble stuff. He has weird sci fi stuff. And the music is good, but not the main centerpiece and is truly the kind of comeback of like dominance where he's like, no, dude, I still am me. And I know you save Jaws, but listen, man, I still know how to make movies. They put it together. It makes a lot of money. The next big movie, we're going to talk about it. Um, I know it's upsetting to you. I've never talked about any of this on the show. Um, in 1977, a friend of Steven Spielberg's who may or may not be the smartest businessman filmmaker of all time or possibly some sort of Illuminati alien man. That's right. I said it. Mr. George Lucas. I'm explain his neck. <laughs> you shut your goddamn mouth. Crush you like a bug. Here's the thing I will give George. He sees these movies. He likes John Williams. I've watched a couple of interviews leading up to this. A couple of them were fascinating just from people asking John Williams about this. And the thing that John Williams said, he said two things. One, that George Lucas came to him and threw ideas at him that he had never heard before. He had never heard anyone pitch musical ideas to him. And basically George Lucas in that CEO way that he has, he was probably much cooler back then, was like, you're the only guy who can pull this off. You. That's it. I will not make this movie unless you do this. I won't leave you alone until you do this. You have to do this. You're the only guy who can do this. And then, literally, they asked him, how did you come up with the theme for Star Wars? And he said he had some ideas based on the notes that Lucas had given him about old sort of Flash Gordon serials, these kind of big bombastic things, Sousa. And then John Williams tells this awesome story about how he woke up from bed, he had been sleeping, He didn't know if the lightning was real or if it had been in my dream, but he said that he heard like a crazy bolt of lightning. And he said to himself how kind of jarring, but also how much he enjoyed that, how much everybody sort of enjoys jarring bolts of lightning. Is that where you came up with the original score of Star Wars? And he said, of course, that's where I came up from the original score." And then he said, I'm the original gangster. And then he pulled out a gun and just put it on the table. And he just said, do you like my gun? And then he pulled his penis out of his pants. It was very confusing. It was a very confusing interview. But it was a cool story. And then he shot Idris Elba on the street. <laughs> Stringer Bell. It, he'd stepped too far. Okay? He'd stepped too far. Listen. Because with one breath, with one, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, beat, silence, lightning bolt. Boom. Fucking, you know, like that music. That piece explodes out, and I would make the argument that it might be the most important piece of music ever composed in America, like, and whether you like it or not, whether you personally enjoy it, more people in the world know it than the National Anthem. It's possibly the craziestly well-known piece of music maybe ever recorded by humans. It will live hundreds, if not thousands of years beyond American cinema. It will be like the Mozart operas. No one will remember the story of fucking Star Wars. They'll know that piece of music. It's crazy shit. It's mind-blowing, and obviously, I love Star Wars, but I understand that the first movie has tons of flaws, like Jaws does. It has tons of flaws. People in bad costumes, poorly performing, but the flaws are covered by this crazy, mind-melting, Sousa horns plus crazy rock and roll beat, mozart weird interlude, strings, bells, weird shit, and suddenly it becomes the craziest cultural phenomenon possibly in the history of cinema. I genuinely would like to hear your take on Star Wars, and just particularly what you think about the theme, and I don't know. I don't like the theme because it reminds me of Star Wars.
1: <laughs> don't like Star Wars. Cool. Like Star Wars for a couple years when I was younger. Right. And then I was just like, eh, I'm over it. Okay. The rest of the music, it's very good. There's no denying that. Right. But, like I said before, this whole pump-up thing, this whole, let's fucking, you know, charge the fucking gates.
0: Yeah, but that's just the beginning. See, that's the crazy bit to be. That's where he really starts to shine, in my opinion, is because that's only a, a small touch. Everyone remembers that opening, but everyone also remembers the Imperial March, right? The Imperial Vader theme, plus all the weird interludes that then become these softer, sadder stuff. Yes, there's the big bombastic military themes, but there's a lot of really powerful softer things the binary sun's piece is such a beautiful piece of music it's so sad and symphonic it's honestly like it allows star wars to exist al- and that's my problem with it <sighs> but you like empire yeah i do right but see like empire like you know what you know what empire is empire is a movie that is worthy of the music yeah and it could have gone the other way But Williams in Star Wars begins to really begin to manipulate you. He begins to be like, now is the part where I want you to feel pumped up. Now is the part where I want you to feel longing. Now is the part where I want you to feel whimsy and comedy. Now is He literally makes you, like, tricks you with music. It's crazy shit. It's opera. And I will make the argument that this is also where he begins. He's not quite there yet, but... I'll point this out a little later with some of the movies you like a little more. We'll kind of go a little further into this, but he starts to register where lines are, right? Like when he's composing the theme. Now he's John Williams. Now he is a truly secondary force in the storytelling, if not the main force. He sees the cuts. He sees where it is. And then he puts this music into it, and he puts the music and fits it so that lines sort of pop up and explode out. And people are like, I love that line. Do you love that line, or have you been manipulated by this huge opera behind it that has literally led you down this funnel to be like, they do run in herds? Like, is that a good line, or is it literally that music has led you to this moment, and you just remember it because— the music stops for you to hear it, and then crescendos and fucking explode, Like, Well, personally, I love herds.
1: <laughs> you do? Like, so that's the, I, I was born yes, on a farm. Is,
0: <laughs> you love when things run at herds. Yeah, I do. It just it reminds me of home. You love guys and ascots and hats? It's true. hmm Yeah. You love Laura Dern? I think that's the one you Laura like the most. Laura
1: Dern is a national fucking mm-hmm, treasure.
0: Mm-hmm. Literally, the next main I mean, he makes lots of stuff. We, we have to scroll over him a little bit because I don't know if you guys know this, but John Williams has done the music for every movie that's ever been made. When Hollywood's in trouble, if a movie is failing, if a movie costs a lot of money, they fire the composer first and they call John Williams and they beg him and they say, please, please. I'll suck your dick. And then John's like, fine, stop crying. And then he he puts a score together, and half the time it works. 75% of the time it works. But he makes The Empire Strikes Back, which we talked about, where I think the music evolves even more. The pump-up stuff disappears a little bit. Which I
1: like. Yes. I like his other scores, yes. where it's mostly just tense and horror. Yes. I don't, in general, I don't mm. care for pump-up music.
0: I, it's not, but it's, it's, it's not pump-up music. Because honestly, I will say this, we'll get into this a little bit, because the one that we passed over just a little bit was 1978, Him and Richard Donner make Superman, right? And Superman is really not that good a movie in terms of things. It doesn't really stand up. I like that character. I like that it's a cooler, egalitarian version of Superman. But that theme, that theme is kind of like when in the ancient days when like a Viking war party would blow these sort of atonal horns this, to scare people, right? It, to let everybody know that fucking nightmare is here. And then literally John Williams came up with this idea of using big horns. This bum, 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 bum. It is that, but it's melodic. It's melodic and beautiful. And it's the good guys are here. It lets you know things. It lets you know more complex things than just... It allows it to be more complex. That's what good pieces of music are, though, I think. I don't know. But you like Empire Strikes Back. I do. And do you like the John Williams music in Empire? I do.
1: Everything works in Empire. Mm -hmm. Empire is a pretty perfect movie. It really is. It all comes together. Mm -hmm. All of it. Yeah. Every piece fits.
0: Would you at least accept the argument that maybe like all of the Williams stuff up to this point was kind of leading to Empire? That this is the sort of perfect opera that he had been making. It has a little bit of the good guy pump up stuff, but it also has a lot more of like moodier horror stuff, but also kind of sadder, weird stuff. I don't know.
1: I don't think he needed to lead up to anywhere. I think he was just fucking John Williams after Jaws. Hmm. I think he was just there. Like he just knows what to do and he's going to do it. I feel like
0: I, it's an interesting take. Cause I also sort of in my mind agree with you on that as yeah.
1: well. Like I just feel like that he was always this good. He was always that good. <laughs> he just was waiting mm. to not do fucking disaster movies, whether it's a fucking boat or an earthquake or a foam shark, but it's, it's just like, when you have the opportunity right. to go full whatever you are, right. he just goes it. And he yeah. does it repeatedly over and over, <laughs> over and over for fucking decades. Yes, yes. I just think that Empire is such a good movie mm-hmm. that he just matched the level of the movie. He didn't have to hide anything. He didn't have to save anything. Right. Empire is just there, and it's quality from fucking, you know, the lightning bolt to the end credits. Yeah, My favorite part of that is when... um. Luke, fuck. I uh, <laughs> don't care about Star Wars. Sorry, that's Luke. Not that. <laughs> Luke cuts off. That's like,
0: a, if you did that on purpose, that would. Mm, thank but, you. <laughs> uh, so
1: Luke is in uh <laughs> Dagobah, Yeah. and he cuts off fucking. Um, oh, that piece. Yes. James Jill Jones's head. Yes. And then it's his face underneath. That is fucking epic. That's epic. a great piece of music. Yeah. I don't have a problem with John Williams. Right. I have a problem with Star Wars in general. Okay. That's all I've been saying this whole time.
0: I mean, but Empire is goddamn perfect. It is. But I'm sorry that you're in litigation with George Lucas, okay? I know his lawyers are very tough. I own those Jowls <laughs> and I want them back. <laughs> all, right, all right. I invented the Jowls, you piece of shit. After this, though, he teams back up with Spielberg. He goes back with his boy, right? Yeah. His homie. They get back together. They put their fucking hands together like the last episode with fucking Schwarzenegger and fucking. Carl Weathers. Carl Weathers, fucking you son of a bitch. And their biceps are gigantic. They fucking...
1: uh, I'm willing to bet there isn't a bicep between the two of
0: them. (laughs) But yeah, I like the imagery. They hung out at Lago, (laughs) fucking drank like eight fucking margaritas. But at the same meeting, George was there and he was like, listen, I'm just saying that this fucking movie about the fucking adventurer who's a white guy who steals stuff is going to be dope. Yeah. and Because people
1: love... Listen when things get
0: stolen from their history. I mean, if you do it like they did it, it's kind of fun. And it is fun. If Harrison Ford is doing it. The first and the third time they do it, it's really fun. It's really fun. The second so, time they do it, it's pretty racist. And
1: the fourth time they do it, it's like, why? 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 It's a quest for more money. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs>
0: Um, is he
1: really going from vine to vine with a bunch of monkeys?
0: I will make the argument that Raiders and Temple of Doom and last all, all that it's good, but this is when I would say John Williams becomes a little bit where he's like, I got some dope pop hooks, but I'm not going to care as much. <laughs> like bum 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 But also it ma- matches, like right. These are B
1: movies with A movie budgets. Exactly. They're serials. And A
0: budget, a, a budget producers and directors. Exactly. Yeah. These are
1: the movies that were you would watch 10 minutes of on a Saturday morning and go yes. back to the next Saturday. They're just giving you two hours at a time. Yes. And he's like, oh, so I get to be cheesy and hooky as fuck. Yes. And when Lucas Hear ran- your Beatles songs.
0: <laughs> I mean, honestly, yeah, he's like, I'm going to hold your hand. This is going to happen. I'm no. going to infect this hook into your head. I've got a hook. I'm doing that. I'll give you guys the hooks. There are cool pieces. I actually think Temple of Doom has one of the cooler scores. The movie is dumber, but the score is cooler because it's horror stuff. Him being allowed to be a little spookier, a little weirder. When he's doing horror movies, he's the best. That's his trick. After this, in 82, him and Spielberg actually get together with personally my favorite John Williams score. I do like this movie. I know there's an element of sentimentality to it. It's another one where I think it's an amazing ensemble. Having an ensemble movie with kids and it fucking works that good. You put it in front of me, which one works better of an ensemble film with children. There hasn't been one. It's okay. So what I'm talking about is E.T. the extraterrestrial. It's a ripoff of stranger things. <laughs> Solid. Thanks. Um, I would listen to that argument though. A little bit the Duffer brothers, but they got to have like 40 hours in order to have the level of depth that he managed to pull off in like an hour and 50 minutes. And also, that score is so insanely iconic. It's so moody, so spooky, but also not pump-up. It is more emo, and the parts that are triumphant are triumphant. They are not like, let's get psyched. It's more like... We live in the suburbs. Your dad left. A bunch of us are a bunch of shithead kids. Your wiener brother stole an alien. Fuck it. We need to stick together and ride like in order to fuck the man. I'm there's I don't. Do you like E.T.? I should ask that.
1: I don't not like it. Mm. I mean, I don't really care about E.T. That's fair.
0: And do you in this context enjoy the score?
1: I mean, I listened to it today. I
0: didn't really. It's good. Did you listen to the end? Yeah, yeah. I did. The whole thing. The, yeah. The fucking. I did. I'm sorry. I Maybe it's my own weird beef, but the level of complexity in the climax scene that leads all the way to the end, and this is the one. This is To me, though, this is the one where I have to toss this in here, where I think Williams had been sitting on this score for a while, is an argument that I might have. They could have had anything. They could have had any goddamn movie. He'd been sitting on this, writing this probably for a while because it's so different than all of his other stuff. Like, it's him, but it's so complex. And that whole thing where it leads this whole... And then it stops. It seems to end, right? It seems to come just into those weird little flute and string pieces. And then fucking E.T. says, I'll be right here and Henry Thomas fucking sells sells it so fucking hard. He puts ET so over it's crazy. And then his finger lights up, and then that music just explodes back up. And every child that ever saw that, you show to a child now, he's manipulating you and it shockwaves through you. It shockwaves through you. I'm sorry. And if it. I might be dead inside though. That's no, that's very popular. I'm sorry. I, I was taken to see John Williams in concert with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and he played that as the very last piece, and I've only sobbed a few times in my life where very important people in my life have left me, and I couldn't fucking handle it. It was unstoppably good. I'm sorry. It's, in my opinion, I find it to be the most well-constructed piece of music. It's insane. But I also am a dork bag, so that is also a very real possibility. But like I was saying... You have to admit, he's starting to do this thing where he literally constructs things just to get to certain lines, just to get to certain lines that he's going to prop up himself. And whether that's him and Spielberg combined, I don't know. But it won him an Academy Award. He won him his fourth Academy Award. He makes Empire of the Sun. So he's only
1: won one more since 82. That's kind of bad.
0: But I think at this point, there's kind of a little bit of an element where they nominate him every single time. Yeah. And um, I love him, but... The pieces of music, although some of them are iconic, I don't think any of them are quite as good as E.T. or Empire or the originality of the original stuff. There's always that element when you hear a band for the first time. Is the music better than the later stuff, truly? Or is it just the first time you heard them and you fell in love with it? I don't know. But have you seen 87's Empire of the Sun starring Batman? A long time ago, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember anything from Empire this one? No, I don't. If I, can I also don't. It. I remember that Batman was in it. Yeah. But I'm
1: not going to lie. I really like the score.
0: I really... I, I'm saying. I think
1: um, this track, Lost in the Crowd, is yeah. fucking phenomenal. Right. It's a beautiful piece of music. And here's the thing. This is like the fundamental difference between us. Mm. If it works in a movie, that's great. Right. But if I listen to the score later and I can think of something else other than the movie that's when I love a film score. Mm. When I hear anything from Star Wars, all the Star Wars things, I think of Star Wars. When I listen to Memoirs of a Geisha, or if I listen to Empire of the Sun, or if I listen to Schindler's List, right. I don't think of those movies, despite how powerful Schindler's List is. Right. I just hear the music in my mm. head, mm. and whatever images pop up, pop up. And sometimes it's the movies, but like it's not. I like the scores he does that are not immediately tied in with the image from mm. the film. When you can listen to something and just get lost in it for what it is, Yeah, that's the scores I like.
0: Interesting. I, I suppose there's maybe a little bit for me where it's kind of the opposite. That's interesting. Maybe that's just um, why I'm better than you. I don't know. I just... Not. <laughs> uh... Uh, no, but that's interesting, though, that of just how everyone processes music, music yeah. in their own way, and you like to process it as its own piece, and I like to connect it into imagery and connect it into stories and things when I hear it, and that's... Extremely interesting. But we do have to talk about, which I think one that we can agree with. There's like two where I think in the 90s, he makes two pieces that are the ones that I think we can agree with the most of liking the music and the movie. You like when dinosaurs eat lawyers. That's literally what my business card says. <laughs>
1: I Nick Souter, I like when dinosaurs eat lawyers.
0: <laughs> uh, sir, please leave Subway now. Take my business card. <laughs> this is a Subway! You will eat the sandwich that tastes exactly the same, and you will like it. And it will not be a full foot long; It will be like eight inches, but you'll pay the full price. But I will say this. The score for Jurassic Park is when he finally gets to be, I would make the argument, John Williams the like auteur. He starts it with a fucking Mozart piano concerto. And it goes like this. It goes like this for in a piano concerto of a big budget, huge summer Spielberg blockbuster. He gets to do fucking piano concertos for the entire fucking first act. At, that, at which point goes into some of the crazier shit, which I will admit, I am always haunted by the video online of someone playing the shittily playing the harpsichord. What is it? Super producer ride Teps. Say it. Well, say it. Melodica. Melodica, Melodica, yes. Donald Trump's wife, and you beat me to the joke
1: because I gave him my mic.
0: <laughs> <laughs> never giving you a mic again. I lost the joke. <laughs> Dude, people are listening to this. <laughs> That's the score of a Jurassic Park. It's very Mozart. It's very Tchaikovsky. Starts with piano, and then. Begins to slowly build squeeze box, squeeze box, slowly, 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 and then crescendo into these big fucking things. And then they do run in herds. Then the John Williams huge symphony orchestra thing starts up, and everyone's like, Dinosaurs, I'll do whatever you say, Spielberg's hours. I'll do whatever you say. I don't even know if this movie's good. I'll do whatever you say. There used to be one of those in the. uh, I'm saying squeeze box in the sense of like, An old term for like how certain operas and certain symphonies would work of like that you would go wide out a little bit into the strings, and into the brass and then just come back into just the first chair and then go a little bit out and then come back into just the first chair. Like, right. It's squeeze box. Also, I would make the argument Jurassic Park, a horror movie. Yeah. Which is one of my notes.
1: My favorite track on that is uh, Raptors Attack. And it fucking reminds me of The Shining. And I like that a lot. And I don't care that it reminds me of The Shining. It just, it has the same vibe. Mm. It's fucking haunting. It's great. And, you know, they're attacking you and it sounds like something is attacking you.
0: It has a little bit of that pulsy feeling of things that will come later, like guys that I think you like a little more, like Zimmer and. It's not exactly like... I'm not going to say Cliff Martinez, but you love Cliff Martinez.
1: I love Cliff Martinez. I love fucking Hans Zimmer. I love John Carpenter. Mm. I love the vibe they create. Like I said before, when I listen to "Detached" from Interstellar, mm. I'm not thinking about Matt Damon trying to connect something to a fucking thing. I don't remember what it is. That Interstellar itself is a fucking beautiful... It's the best-looking dumb movie I've ever seen. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. But I- when I listen to the score... It's just Hans Zimmer. When I listen to John Carpenter, other than the Halloween theme, it's just John Carpenter. When you listen to fucking
0: Halloween 3, that's magic. Right. I love those guys. I do. Are you in love with them? Not as much as I am with Williams, but I would make this argument with Williams, and maybe it's just because I'm a little bit of a classical music nerd, but that element, I think Williams was one of the first guys who started to do with, like I said, with strings, that pulse, that... He's doing it. He's doing what eventually these guys will figure out to do with like synth and a more modern version, but it's a bridge. Williams is a bridge between the old world Hollywood, very truly connected into the dork past of boring classical music scores. But Williams, like I said, bridges that element. Star Wars, I think the reason it explodes out I think the reason jaws explodes out I think the reason a lot of the early stuff explodes out is because it is a symphony orchestra it is a big sweeping score but it has a big touch of rock and roll in it it has a big touch of what will be the future with I you know those beats those pulses those pulses that will become the Zimmer stuff the Martinez stuff don't get me wrong he also has all of his weird whimsical stuff and all of his flutes <laughs> Too many bassoons. See, I like the bassoon. I like the tuba stuff. I like it, but I understand what you're saying. If you're not, if if it's not your thing, then I can understand. Or you're like, what the fuck with the bassoon and the tuba so, again? But I'm like, I love tuba. Oh, the bassoon. It's I so, lived with a tuba player for two years. Oh man, I just, I just that's what it is. Oh, so this many, is what too, too many bassoons. bassoons. Secret. secrets, secrets. Okay. <laughs> I love the tuba. That's fair. Um. And then we get a little more into territory of things that you were talking about, which is he really makes these very thoughtful pieces that are... All of them should have won Oscars. They only didn't because they were like, we can't give John Williams the Oscar every year. It's ridiculous. But he gets nominated. Every every movie that John Williams was out gets nominated. You know why? Because it's fucking rad. Maybe it shouldn't win. There are better pieces, but it should get nominated because <laughs> it's fucking amazing. He's, he literally is composing operas every fucking year for every fucking movie they ask him to do, and they're all rad. Some are better than others, but they're all rad. He makes Schindler's List, the comedy. Um, he... <laughs> Pause for makes, oh, no, no. Come on. I'm, jo- I'm joking. I'm joking. It's a joke. He makes... I don't uh, stand by that joke. <laughs> he takes a little break, though. He makes a lot of stuff kind of in the middle there of the mid-'90s, but he takes a little break. And then his 2000 stuff, like you said, comes back and it has this different edge. He's been listening to your guys. He's been listening to Zimmer. And Memoirs of a Geisha... I love that piece. I, I love I, the whole fucking thing. I don't even remember that movie, but I know they never saw the movie. I know those pieces I just know of music. know the soundtrack.
1: Yes. It's him, it's Yo-Yo Ma and it's it's Tack Perlman.
0: Yes. Very amazing. Very I, I'm sorry. I he doesn't take a break. I wanted he to He slows down. Well, Seven Years in Tibet also uh an amazing piece of music, an amazing piece of music that you know, I remember Brad Pitt and I remember that movie, but I just remember that music being overwhelming. Same thing, manipulating me emotionally. You again? Yes. Yeah. That's him and him teaming up, him having a first chair, a true first chair for a true master composer. It's amazing shit. And also I was listening to kind of one of the ones that like a lot of, I would say not film nerds saw, which is saving private Ryan. And that piece of music is so haunting and spooky and you would think would have the big military fanfare stuff in it. It doesn't. It has spookier taps kind of stuff in it. It has sadder, weirder shit in it. And that piece, that Omaha Beach piece, where they're coming in, they're riding in the boats, and it has this very strangely spooky, whimsical, like, they're all going to die. Like, you're all going to die. Spoiler alert. Uh, Yeah, spoiler alert for Omaha Beach. Doesn't go good. uh, Goes bad for everybody on both sides. Um, But is same thing, why I feel like he maybe saves his truly best stuff for Spielberg. Because Spielberg's stuff on screen, he doesn't have to save. He only had to really save it the one time. He only had to really save it the one time. All the other times. Spielberg's been resentful about it (laughs) Well, he's, but that's awesome that he's literally like, he's never going to save my shit. He's only going to enhance it. That's not going to happen ever again. I'm going to make.
1: Until he gets fucking old and nobody remembers well, Breach of Spies. Everybody.
0: Oh, boy. Okay. We're dropping ahead.
1: We're, we're, we're talking about Spielberg. Yes.
0: But you have to admit, I mean, there's a real possibility that, that Omaha Beach scene is the craziest action sequence ever put on film. Like, yeah. uh, I saw it at the old Golf Mill movie theater, RIP, and. It blew my it, sorry. It's a it's a little weird to hear Chicago. I'm sorry,
1: I was on the south
0: side or okay. what the fucking golf mill is. It's okay. It's all right.
1: Most of the Is people that dogs. where that fucking stupid leaning tower
0: piece is? It is Fuck niles that place. illinois Hey, hey, hey. It's where people count. Niles, Illinois. We also maybe recorded some of our episodes there. Uh-huh. So you sound better here. That is true. It definitely sounds better in Humble Park in Chicago, Illinois. But I will say this, though. It was one of these last big, crazy movie palaces that they built in, like, the 50s. And it lasted until the early 2000s. It had a balcony. It was really this beautiful, yeah. crazy movie theater. Maybe the people of Niles should have gone to more movies. No, oh, I definitely no it was too good it was too good for this world it was too good for the clowns of this world it really was it was too good for suburbia it was too good it was it was an amazing movie theater and i saw saving private ryan there and i now in retrospect listen to the music but i certainly wasn't when i first saw it yes but i would say his late 90s stuff although is not the most popular movies is some of the better musical pieces he made I agree. Of skill. Yeah. Of skill and making wilder stuff and technical things. What's your favorite? of uh, Truly, if you had to name a favorite of those kind of like 90s, members of a geisha. Members of a
1: geisha p- was later. Yeah.
0: Yes, you're right. I'm sorry. That was a little later. If we for
1: 90s. Yes. Besides Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. It's seven years in Tibet.
0: Ooh, good. I, it's great. It's a great I, fucking yeah, I score. I dig it. I it's dig really it. It's really good. Yeah. and Yo-yo na- ma. No, you're not. and not as hooky. I would say it still has no hooks hugs. to it. It's all it's Williams. There's always a little bit of a, here's some crescendos that I'm going to now suck your emotions into what I want you to do. But yes, I agree. It's not bump bum bum like that's what that song is. There's indie hooks. Okay, I will say this: of the late '90s, he did do a thing, which was everyone else shit the bed, except maybe George Lucas was the entire time just trying to get kids away from their money for Taco Bell collector's cups. That may have been the entire point. I feel like you are making a very personal
1: statement right here.
0: But also I would say this because the rest of the stuff, he definitely phoned in, right? But for the first one, for Phantom Menace, okay? In 1999, John Williams had been sitting on some Star Wars pieces that I know he had been sitting on for a long time. Do yourself a favor and listen to Duel of the Fates. If you haven't heard Duel of the Fates, it's one of the few times that John Williams uses like a chorus, a voice chorus, where spooky shit is being sung in fucking Latin sometimes. And it is the song that is sung when Obi-Wan Kenobi and fucking Qui-Gon Jinn take on fucking Ray Park with a fucking dual-edged lightsaber. And it, almost, it was such a good piece of music that it almost redeemed one of the worst, most racist fucking underwhelming, shithead, moron movies of all time. That's how good a couple of his pieces of music almost managed to... It, honestly, I still have people who defend Phantom Menace and like, but what about that scene when fucking they fight Darcy Ball and the fucking duel of the fates is playing and I'm like, yes! Yes, I understand! <laughs> there was one sequence with one of the coolest pieces of John Williams music ever that he literally had been sitting on, possibly writing for 20 goddamn years. But that movie is trash. It is trash. You heard that George Lucas is trash. He made the other stupid ass Star Wars movies. They're Star Wars. He does a great job, but none of it is really. He is. I'm saying it right now. Phoning it. <laughs> yeah. You You're love like- those prequels. Um, they quit the show. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to do that to you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's not I true. I didn't see those prequels, by mm. the way,
1: mm. until you sat me down and had me watch them after we went and saw episode
0: one seven. One second. One second. To be fair, we had a conversation, and we I was, you were like, what happened? And I started to explain it, and then we sat there, and we were a little drunk and high, I also, at the time, had a similar conversation with my ex-girlfriend, who also wanted to see them for some reason. But why did you take me to the chair and not both of us? <laughs> she was granted, willing. Granted, she granted. was willing.
1: I'm not going to lie. He taped me to the chair. He didn't leave me enough room with one hand to light my cigarettes and smoke my bowl. Yes. So it wasn't a kidnapping.
0: Yes. It was just, like, hey, just fucking watch the <laughs> I just have to put this, this is in my notes. The Duel of the Fates at the climax of episode one, phantom racism. The Duel of the Fates in Wikipedia is referred to as an aggressive choral movement in the style of Verdi's Requiem. Yes, I, I just I, I kind of that's what it is. It is a Requiem but it is a requiem that is vicious. Like It's literally this crazy fucking piece of music, and you're like, whoa. Like, this movie sucked. Even in the theater, I was like, this movie sucked. Nothing was going on, and then this piece of fucking heat wave comes Um, at you.
1: Excuse me. Yes. They had pod racing. (laughs)
0: There was a hilarious character, John John Binks, which I wouldn't even do that voice because I don't want it to be isolated. So people have me doing a satchmo voice. So that's thank right. You. Thank you. Thank you. thanks all thank all of us. Also, Anakin was played by a kid. It was a kid. I'm a cat. I'm the main cat. I'm Darth Vader. Fucking Jesus Christ. George, what the fuck, man? Anyways. I wonder what that moment was like when John Williams saw him. He was like, Jesus, fucking cry. Jesus fucking Christ. All right. All right. I remember when they showed my jaws and I had to save that shit. All right. All right. Here we go. All right. Jesus Christ. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I just
1: just imagine John Williams sitting there watching this and then turns to his assistant. No, no, no. Get the good scotch. (laughs) We'll save the blended stuff for George's next move For for Stephen's next movie, give me the si- <laughs> give me the single malt. We're fucking we're burning through this.
0: His hands are on the chair, and they're just like his knuckles are getting white. He rips his off band. part of his
1: chair, and he's like, "Oh shit! Oh
0: god! I'm I wrote dope music.
1: I'm in my for fucking, what? I'm in my late sixties, and I just
0: tore oh. apart wood. Ah, oh, Christ! Jesus Christ! <laughs> Anyways, he's always making stuff. He's always making stuff. He bounces back though because in terms of money, because he's poor, he's very poor at this point. Generally. Uh, Can we talk about
1: his net worth? I Google it today. What is it? Do you want to take a guess? Also, keep in
0: mind he's a composer. Don't yeah, it too get too crazy. But he gets a little chunk ne- yeah. the, later, definitely. Uh, Super producer Brian Taps. What's your guess? Fifty-six million. No,
1: no, he's a musician. Yeah, four hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and the joke of the episode goes to Brian Tapps
0: uh, I'm going to say I'm going to say a cool hondo million you are correct yeah yeah yeah. John I, Williams is worth a hundred million dollars I just
1: I I figure he's and all of you know, the best part was we used to make a game out of this where we we're stoned on the fucking chart jack like net worth and yeah. we look it up and, and you Australian
0: needle. fucking uh iPhone. you leave Siri out of this
1: <laughs> searching John Williams now now John Williams is with a hundred million dollars. hundred million dollars. <laughs> like when you Google it, like they'll show like, you know, like Adam Sandler, like he'll have a couple of smiley photos and yeah. one where he's just like morose. Yeah. John Williams is all smiles hell and all yeah. beard because he could just sit there with all his bassoons right.
0: and all his money. I will toss this out there. Super producer Brian Tepps brought up a little point earlier about how can a guy make such amazing emotional music And where does the trauma come from? Where does it come from? I would make the argument that it's a little closer to this is very nerdy. And I don't know because I don't know John Williams of this element where Mozart was a child prodigy as well. His dad was a bigger dick and his life didn't go so well. And his later stuff that was amazing, awesome shit wasn't huge successes. But if you were a child prodigy where shit was rad And your successes later were super beloved and everyone loved you. And even though your parents were like, no, that note is wrong. Like, no, I'm sorry, John. You can't go to the zoo today with the other kids because you have to learn how to play the bassoon. Like, and you're like, Jesus Christ. And then all of that paid off, really paid off. And everyone thinks you're the dopest American composer of all time. Yeah, you'd be smiling your ass off. I'm sorry. I just... And Mozart should have been smiling his ass off. And screw you, Vienna. That's right, Austria. Old Austria. Not current Austria, but old Austria. You guys should have been cooler to fucking Mozart. His shit was rad. You guys are idiots. But don't worry. He latches on to a film series that no one watched. It was a film series about a kid called Harry Potter who was a wizard or some shit. And he wrote the Hedwig's theme. I remember that. Yeah. He's got an angry inch. Also, probably at a party, someone was like, John, I like Danny Elfman more. And he was like, yeah, you like fucking Danny Elfman more, you fucking son of a bitch. What what do you think? Nothing. Nothing at all. (laughs) I'll see you guys later. I have to go home and write a crazy-ass piano piece that is fucking Danny Elfman, but way fucking cooler. Do you like the Harry Potter theme, Nicholas? Sure. I don't know what to say. Honestly, I couldn't
1: make it through the whole fucking song.
0: No, it's honestly, to be fair, I will also say this. I felt like at that point... A lot of the later movie studio stuff, it's so corporatized and everything. Yeah. And even though he's John Williams and he makes these cool pieces, like now do this to do this, and he still does yeah. it because him.
1: But also, I know people love Danny Elfman, but like, yeah, didn't he peak with Oingo Boingo? Are we not on the same page, everybody? Oh, listen, man, Beetlejuice is dope. Okay, there's some there's some rad shit. No, I know, but Batman, there's some rad shit with Danny. Is okay? it better than Oingo Boingo? Is anything There's some good Williams, is there anything John Williams did that's better than Oingo Boingo? Hilarious. You wanna see my tattoo? Of
0: Oingo Boingo? No, it's a lightning bolt. <laughs> Got it. Nailed it. <laughs> the one thing is he's a team player. He does all the sequels. He does all the dumb sequels. He only did two Jaws. Jo- he only did the first Jaws No, he got out of Jaws. Yeah, he's he like, got oh, oh that's shit. But he's you pay dumb. me for using the theme, motherfuckers. Yeah. But I'm saying, like, he does Jurassic Park 2 and 3. He does Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. He does all the fucking whatever Attack of he the did Skywalker. He Solo. I'm saying, honestly, though, I have a soft spot for Solo. I thought Solo was actually kind of dope. I know this is a... Hard, weird thing. But finally, Ron Howard got to make a Star Wars movie. They told him he was going to get to... They told him that he was up for Return of the Jedi. He didn't get it, so he got Willow instead. It didn't go so good. Although, yeah, but they
1: also asked him to direct one of the prequels, and he just straight up said no. He probably read the script. But he read the script to Solo,
0: and Solo was kind of dope. He came in, and I kind of like Solo. It. I he liked, came in
1: and reshot the whole thing.
0: I know, and there was some stuff in it that like I like... Donald Glover is Lando, and I, I, I thought I liked the guy from fucking Hail Caesar as fucking Han Solo. I thought I genuinely was perplexed. I think literally because it was a, everyone was so mad at the Revenge of the Jedi or whatever the shit. The second I literally, this is how far I've fallen from my Star Wars fandom. You know, like Episode Eight was so boring and lame that people just were like. I don't give a shit anymore. Like I don't, this is so disnified. It literally went the opposite of the Marvel stuff. It literally went the opposite of creating its own genre, its own entire world, which is what star Wars did in the first place. Anyways, th- that's a whole different thing. Anyways, but I think we're coming to the end here in terms of like, I mean, I know he's done tons and tons and tons. He wins Academy awards. He's, I like the score to Lincoln. I like the score to war horse I've never actually seen War Horse, but I've definitely listened to the score.
1: I don't remember the score to Lincoln. I saw it in theaters. That was one like, the only movie that I ever took a cigarette break during at the Logan <laughs> Theater and just went outside and had a cigarette.
0: Did you get to see Abraham Lincoln slap the guy from Third Rock from the sun?
1: I actually uh taped it because I knew it was coming <laughs> up. And so I could just watch it over and over and over. And it just,
0: was it was pretty that was yeah. That's the only part I remember.
1: Stop making movies. <laughs> Just stop after. uh oh, What's the fucking time travel one? He's Looper,
0: in? Looper. Yeah. Listen, let's not bash. I like. I like him. His name is David Gordon Green. <laughs> 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 Woo! Oh, zing boy. zing! Uh, I'm kidding. I'm joking. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I apologize. It's a joke. Um. Yeah, the book thief, and then yeah, you get into like you know British spies. Ah, oh, the BFG. Oh. Brian Tepp's is bringing up a couple of movies that he really enjoys from the early 2000s. Catch Me If You Can is an awesome Spielberg. It is. It's a very good movie. Uh, John Williams joint. Yeah. Has, it's John Williams doing more fun stuff. Doing a little also bit. Also, on his
1: list, he has Can't Hardly Wait. That is not John Williams. <laughs> he did. It
0: was William Johns. Yeah. His secret persona.
1: <laughs> ba, 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 ba
0: ba ba He did ba, Minority ba, Report. Ba, 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 ba. Finally. He did AI. <laughs> he did The Patriots. I mean, it's just like. Ugh. A.I.'s score is very disappointing. Yeah, all of it, the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, they come in and swoop in on fucking Kubrick's sci-fi masterpiece yeah. that he died before he could finish and just a bunch of assholes. Okay, I do have to say fucking Munich is, Munich is underrated. Uh, I know there's the weird sex scene with Eric Bana at the end, but so much of it is so old-school Spielberg of just kind of cool, tinkering, weird sci-fi stuff. I don't know. What did you think of fucking uh, Munich? I've never seen it. Oh, I'm not saying this is the greatest, but it's worth. I don't like Eric Bana. It's fair, but it's really cool Spielberg stuff, and yeah. it's a really interesting. I
1: actually feel bad for not seeing that one.
0: There's some very solid writing and cool. Like... I Saw the
1: sex scene on Pornhub.
0: <laughs> there is some hilarious. It was so disturbing. There is a really ho- hilarious. It literally is the opposite of the entire movie, which is so subtle and cool. It's like made me feel bad for Kate Capshaw. <laughs> If you haven't seen the sex scene, basically Arabana when he ejaculates goes aah, aah, something like that, right? Yeah. Which is what happens when you have sex, right? I haven't done it, but you know, John Williams is listed to do an untitled Indiana Jones project. So, Yeesh. ooh, it's called.
1: Indy goes to the fucking old folks' home. <laughs> Indy crashes another plane. It survives. Fuck you guys. Indy breaks his legs on set again. <laughs> but. He's he's 90 fucking
0: years old. He's 90 fucking years old, and he is doing the new Star Wars movie that's coming out. He is still... Because... Just walk away. No, to be fair, I will say this. They're his shit. This is the end. This is his deal. He's doing it. I'm sure this is probably the last one. Wait, is there
1: a Star Wars movie coming out this year?
0: Yeah, it's the ninth. It's the, the last. The J.J. Abrams one. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah I know. That's I how I feel. Stop it, at it. Disney. Yeah, because we all love the story. Here comes the story of the uh, like, I don't know. Kyler Ren is like doing a thing, and I then didn't he see has other, like, There was like a, a Dragon Ball Z sequence at the. I don't know. It was a whole thing. I apologize to everybody who loved that stupid movie, but that's right, George. You hear that shit? You hear that? That's right. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get shot by George Lucas in the face, just like Steve Buscemi. <laughs> When he got shot in the face in several movies. Almost all of them. (laughs) I think that ends it. But let's do the blockbuster football. Top four John Williams movies based on the John Williams score.
1: I'm specifically going with movies that I feel like you will not pick. Other than one of them, which is going to be super obvious when I pick it. All right. Yeah. Number four. I'm going with the fucking post. I haven't seen the movie. I only know the score. Yeah. And I fucking really enjoy it. Mm. It's outside of his, what he does. Like, like, I, I don't know if I mentioned this before recording or at the beginning of the episode, but it's like the first track on there in the middle of it, he just brings out some weird synth shit. Yeah. It's like, we have like a weird electronic drum thing or like a weird synthesizer, but like, it just sort of blends in perfectly what he's doing. And then like, it's a very subtle soundtrack.
0: It's something that I know it's kind of at the end, but I think that's the coolest thing about John Williams is that he is so adaptable. Like he does the things that he feels are required for that movie. He doesn't try to force in things into movies. He goes with what he thinks is the thing that that movie needs. The post is another movie that in the same way, I'm like, man, Meryl Streep and fucking Tom Hanks are awesome at acting. This score is dope. And then you're like, is this movie just about how like baby boomers by the power of like, obeying the rules are going to save the world. You're like, what the fuck is this anyways? But you're right. That score is dope. My fourth, I think I would say for me is probably Jurassic Park. I love it. It is amazing. It is truly his best in terms of understanding his ability to be kind of the opera composer to have all of the score come together so that then you can have a line, right? You can have the welcome to Jurassic Park, like, and then the doors and the music crescendo. You know, you can have these things. You can tell you down there, like, when Disneyland opened, the Pirates of the Caribbean eat the people, you know, it's like, and then you have this, and suddenly the whole thing picks back up. I just, I love it. It's an amazing score. It's, you could listen to it, but I would recommend watching Jeff Goldwyn with his shirt off. Hot stuff. Uh, what's your number three? Schindler's List. Ooh.
1: It's um it's not the most fun thing to listen to. <laughs> no, no. But it's certainly beautiful. It really is. And um, when I get really depressed, I listen to it, and it makes me grateful to be alive. Agreed.
0: I think that's also something he's good too is that when he wants to be melancholy, when he wants to have these moments, he... Definitely can do them. He definitely can create like those things with woodwinds and strings and just drop out the horns all the way. Maybe a little bassoon, but just sad, sad, sad. Sad bassoon. Sad. Which is the name of my hardcore band. It's not bad. That's actually not bad. I'm going to say three. I'm going to say Jaws. It is metal, it is dope. It's spooky. It's fucking spooky. But also... Is it spooky? It's also kind of has this weird whimsy of, like, the ocean. But then at any moment, it get turned on you. Like, holy shit. And... Uh, what's two? Jaws. <laughs> it's spooky. Hell yeah. It's yeah. spooky as fuck. Yeah. It's iconic, too. It's the first one of his... Yeah. It's truly iconic. It's it's a fucking horror movie soundtrack. It is. It is. And that's like
1: yeah. one time you came over and we were recording. It was where you lived here. And I was hungover. And I was just listening to Cliff Martinez's soundtrack to Solaris. Yes. And you're like, is someone about to get murdered? Yeah. <laughs> Solaris is not a horror film, but right. it's a horror film. It is. Jaws. Is a horror film is, the, to me. Those two scores are very similar, and just in the fact of all the tension mm-hmm. they create, how they make you feel, and at any point you go,
0: "Is someone going to get murdered?" Oh yeah, yeah, and they are. Yeah, about to get eaten by a goddamn shark, um, or to go of George Clooney's wife. Papet. Um, my number two. And this is tough for me, but I'm going to say Star Wars. It is Star Wars. I love, obviously, the lightning strike, the fucking fanfare, the beginning. But the thing that I think really solidified for me was when I really started to listen to it. When you listen to just after the fanfare and then you follow the camera down and it says this the music never stops it's an opera it's always changing it's always moving it's always different it's always something it's always going with the characters it's always creating these emotions for you and these different things and it changed sci-fi and made the first poetic sci-fi movie even if that wasn't George Lucas's intention John Williams shoved it down the American audience's mouth, and everyone loved it, and they wanted it, and they wanted more, and they were like, give me more of this shit. And regardless of who was who the one who came up with it, it's we're back-to-back cultural touchstones on that one. What's your two? Or your one, I'm sorry. Just Suide Desole. That's French. For I'm sorry. Lo siento. That's Spanish.
1: I get that. My number one is Memoirs of Gisha. Dope. I love I, it. Yo-yo-yo-ma. I've never seen the movie, but it's him, it's Yo-Yo Ma, it's Zach Perlman, and... It's the only thing in my notes where I've written down more than one song. Mm. I fucking love that soundtrack. I love the score. Listen to Scenes of a War, Rooftops, Brush on Silk. Yeah. It is, yeah. uh, and there's just like little moments of piano. There's
0: little moments of everything. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. I'll never watch the movie, though. <laughs> it's fair. It's fair. My number one is I've I've had a whole moment about Can I guess? It. What is it? Blade Runner. Like you nailed it. Yeah. You nailed it. Thank you. Yeah. It is E.T. the extraterrestrial. I love how complex it is. I love how beautiful it is. I love how sad it is. I love how 80s it is. I love that it just I don't know. This dude managed to figure out how to basically put his finger into the brains of like an entire generation of children and they just could never forget it. It's it's incredibly impressive to me on many, many levels, and I love it. It's Amazing piece of music. Uh, that's Blockbuster Film School. That's our Blockbuster Film Wall. Nick, do you have any final takeaways for Mr. Mr. Johnny Williams?
1: I feel like this is an obvious thing, but John Coltrane's
0: uh, Giant Steps. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Nailed it. Nailed it. I appreciate you taking that long to come back with the joke. That's solid. John Williams is a piece of shit. His music is trash. He's never done anything of worth. Nothing he did mattered, really, in terms of Hollywood. Listen, I'm just saying this. I know I made the point earlier that if he doesn't save Jaws, maybe the whole thing collapses. If he doesn't save Star Wars, maybe the whole thing collapses. Maybe if he doesn't save... It's literally like a never-ending cycle of if John Williams's music doesn't... And it maybe it goes another way. Maybe it goes to someone else. Maybe it becomes a whole different thing. But in our timeline, in the way that it works, in the way Hollywood works... I swear to God, when Williams is done, when he's truly done and he's truly gone and we're already feeling it a little bit, you're not going to have that magic. The dude's stuff is magic. It created magic. It allowed people to become huge filmmakers who we all love, who maybe would never have been allowed to make this stuff unless Williams' fucking magic sort of touched it and made it fucking amazing. Honorable mention to Hook, Honorable mention to Duel of the Fates. I know I'm sort of the nerd. I know this is sort of my episode. I have loved the goddamn bastard my entire stupid-ass life. And I think that he, like I said, of American composers for America will be regarded in the same way that, like, Mozart is regarded for the Vienna School and the way that Tchaikovsky is regarded for the Russians, that John Williams is truly a master Of music, even beyond film, we will forget these movies. We really will. Like a thousand years from now, people will still listen to these musical pieces and think they're fucking dope. They will not remember any of these storylines. They won't. (laughs) So, but that's it. That's Blackbuster Film School. I had a good time. Nick, did you have a good time? Charlie Parker. Charlie Parker. Parker, Dizzy Gillespie. Anyways, Taps, you have a good time. Hells yeah. Well, I hope you learned some shit. Uh, This is Blockbuster Film School. I love the shit out of all of you, particularly you, Taps, particularly you, Nick, particularly you, John Williams, and I want you all to drive your cars real fast. I want you to take drugs. I want you to do whatever the shit you want because civilization is collapsing. We are Blockbuster Film School. We will be back next week with another edition of a deep dive into film, and we think you're great. Nick, I think you're great.
1: I think we're all great.